Well, my older three sisters, my two younger brothers, and I were raised in a blue-collar, working-class family of German ancestry right here in Peoria. The values that undergirded our family life were faith and hard work, right at the top, simplicity, honesty, frugality, and generosity. And while my junior high and high school friends were swimming their summers away at the Willow Knolls and Peoria Country Clubs, I was pulling weeds in the container yard at Hare Nursery. <laughs> I certainly don't regret that experience and the imprinting that it left on, on me through the years, but I was grateful that every summer my dad would take a two-week break from work and we would vacation, and it was the highlight of our summer. We'd pack up the 63 Ford station wagon and uh, we would strap on the car top carrier that we borrowed from Doc McEwen, and then we would uh, head out on some adventure without air conditioning, thank you, or DVD players in the car, food packed in the cooler, arguing over who got to sit over the hump in the middle of the back seat. Over the years, we nearly covered the entire 48 states, uh, traveling to some national park or a, a town of historic importance, perhaps another point of geographic interest. And to this very day, I have very, very fond memories of um, Yellowstone and Royal Gorge and Yosemite and the Alamo, uh, Glacier National Park, Hoover Dam, Grand Canyon, Washington, D.C., Gettysburg, lots and lots of other places. And for that, I was grateful. And almost every spring, as the school season was winding down, we would ask, where are we going to go this summer? Well, with the unofficial launch of summer, just you know, a little over a month away on Memorial Day weekend, I thought we might benefit from some preparation for the season ahead. And so our new four-week sermon series is titled Preparing for a Summer of Fun. And we're going to take a look at um, everyday outreach for ordinary people like you and me. In the summer season, we're just naturally more inclined to be out among the people in the towns in which we live, right? We're uh, mixing with people at a company picnic or a neighborhood uh, garage sale, backyard barbecue, maybe a little league game uh, at, the, at the neighborhood swimming pool or whatever. And so in order to better equip us for this summer, we're going to unpack our calling as Christ's followers. We're going to look at Jesus' model and then we're going to discover the power and simplicity of friendship and kindness. So this morning, we'll kick things off by asking that question, where are we going this summer? Let's pray together. Lord, we're grateful for the beauty and power of a brand new spring day. We love spring because it, it speaks of new life and renewal and change and hope. It's a gift from you, and we say thank you. We pray the prayer you taught us to pray. May your kingdom come. May your will be done right here in our lives, in this church family, in our families, and in our communities. Lord, you know better than we do ourselves what we need. And so we pray that you'd put power on your word to our lives today. Bring your kingdom in the ways that, that we are in need. We welcome you here in your name. Amen. Well, at one time or another, most of us have taken some word association test. I distinctly remember taking one before I entered the fourth grade at Keller Central Grade School. 
Uh, I had been selected to be part of a, a four-year special education research program through Bradley University, and part of the screening procedure involved taking a battery of word association tests, the purposes of which I'm still clueless today as I was then. But the way it worked, you're probably familiar, the proctor states a word, and then you state the word that first comes to your mind. So to illustrate, I thought we'd just take one today. For instance, I say the word dog, and you say... Yeah, lots of... I say uh, bark or bite. So if I... Shout it out now so we can hear it. If I say ice cream, you say... Strawberry, cold. and I didn't hear black walnut, though. Uh, I say the word summer, and you say, fun. I heard that quite a bit. Okay, first word. Um, I say the, the, the word movie, and you say, hunger games. Did I hear that? <laughs> and I say the word church, and you say, we're hurting there. <laughs> That's a little troubling. And then I say the word evangelism, and you say, ugh. I heard that one three or four times. Yeah. Well, why is it that the E-word, evangelism, conjures up in most people's minds, at first recollection, the worst kinds of images? Ugh. Probably because evangelism, as we've experienced it, or as the church has practiced it, has been painful. Um, It's equated with pressure in many people's minds, of going door to door, selling Jesus, or Jesus, (laughs) glory to God, as if he were like vinyl siding, or or replacement windows, or a mortgage refinancing service. It means correcting people's faulty worldviews by posting on their Facebook wall, or insensitively proclaiming your view of truth as the right way without listening, or... You know, arguing with others until they politely capitulate, but not to your profuse knowledge or your scripture quoting or your logic, but just to get you to shut up and they roll their eyes as they mutter under their breath. Sheesh, she's got some problems. Take a chill pill. And then if the word evangelism is prefaced by the word television, you have an extremely uh, toxic cocktail. And many people today consider church a real drag too. It gets lumped right in there with the word evangelism. Now, there is a renowned pollster today named George Barna, does a lot of research, and he indicates that while more than 8 out of 10 Americans, 84%, view themselves as Christian, and 62% would see themselves as deeply spiritual, less than half actually attend a religious service of some sort in any given week. In addition, Barnard reports that fewer than two out of every ten adults firmly believe that participation in some type of community of faith is a critical element in their spiritual growth. And we did some demographic research of Peoria and its surrounding counties before we moved here last summer. And in the Percept Demographic Study of Peoria, we discovered that 65% of the people around here indicate that they are only slightly or not at all involved in their faith. Six out of ten people. And Barna now goes so far as to identify 
new emerging categories of adults who are no longer active in their church. He calls them prodigals, those who've actually lost their faith, or nomads, people who still identify themselves as Christians, but no longer are a vital part of a church. And thirdly, exiles, those that are stuck between the faith in which they were raised, which they've abandoned, and and are still now desiring to make a difference for Christ in the world. Prodigals, nomads, and exiles. So the stats don't lie, friends. But statistics are often nameless and faceless, aren't they? And so if we drill that down a little closer to home, the actual people that you know, maybe your five friends who are voting with their feet that church is a drag. You see, this week, if under the auspices of conducting a homework assignment given to you by your pastor, that's how you could camouflage it, if you were to ask your unchurched family or friends, the neighbors in your apartment complex, uh, maybe your classmates, uh, fellow employees, why they don't go to church, you may hear things something like this. Well, our past hurtful and disappointing experiences in the church are too high of a hurdle to overcome. Uh, secondly, you may hear that the church is irrelevant or out of touch with, with our evolving lifestyle, our, our values in 2012, or the church is just too judgmental. I thought you might be interested to listen to an actual invitation to a church service that Tina and I received in the mail just several years ago. Come and hear what God's prophet says, emphasizing repentance and obedience to the truth, preaching against adultery, divorce and remarriage, fornication, oral sex, lusting, homosexuality, lesbianism, pimps, pornography, mixed bathing, women wearing shorts, gambling, using God's name in vain, dope addiction, alcoholic beverages, tobacco use, smoking, pride, makeup, certain television programs, extortion, arson, miniskirts, revenge, rock music, and all the rest the Bible condemns. And if you want to know what the Holy Ghost says concerning television sets, he said, move them out. May God bless you, Evangelist John Glenn. (laughs) Can't you wait to get to that party? Woo! Yeah, man, sign me up, baby. When I was a student at the University of Illinois many years ago, we used to go to the Quadrangle to be entertained by the campus evangelist known as Mad Max, where he just yelled and screamed at the students about how desperately they were going to hell. Well, the third thing you might hear from your unchurched friends is that Well, the church is always asking for my money. Fourthly, you may hear that they just don't have the time. You know, juggling between housework and shopping and laundry and traveling, sports leagues with their kids, or juggling which weekend you have the kids or whatever. We just don't have the time. On a recent walk, uh, my wife and I were were, uh, introducing ourselves to a relatively new neighbor, new to us, not new to the area. And as those introductory kinds of conversations go, you get around to sharing what you do for a living. And we said that we're new pastors starting a new church. Now, Lee is a delightful guy, uh, claimed that he's still a believer, but uh, he's a nomad, no longer sees value in going to church. 
informed us politely that all churches are basically the same, you know. I'm thinking, I don't know that, but he did. Uh, and implying that he certainly didn't need what we have to offer. But may actually do us the courtesy of paying a visit someday, which would be great. That's just probably typical of the kinds of conversations we've had since we've moved here. Now, over the last four months, we've actually been learning that Jesus offers real life and that the church is to be his attractive, already not yet, community. I love the analogy that's offered by Steve Shogren and Dave Ping in their powerful uh, book called Outflow. You can get it on uh, Amazon. It's worth the read. They say that uh, the church is designed by God to be a fountain. And they write, and I quote, there's something irresistible, almost magical about fountains. You know, think about the gateway fountain down at the riverfront, maybe the, the fountain at Glen Oak Park, or maybe a fountain that was of, of reputation in the town where you grew up. And you just take a minute and watch people as they pass by in the summer months. And what you see just kind of makes you smile, doesn't it? Makes you happy. Several years ago in the late summer, Tina and I spent two days in Chicago, and we visited Millennium Park. Many of you have perhaps been there. And it's home to the Crown Fountain. And it consists of two 50-foot glass block towers at each end of a 48 by 232-foot black granite reflecting pool. And the towers, as you can see, project video images uh, from a broad spectrum of a 1,000 Chicago uh, citizens. And at appropriately timed intervals, there is uh, water that flows through an outlet, uh, making it appear as if the citizens are actually spitting water. It's a fascinating work of art, and uh, on the warm, sunny day that we visited, it, it seemed to draw both kids and adults into the water, into the pool, as, as if uh, like, like sucked in there by a giant uh, magnetic unseen force. People just couldn't stay out. And for that few brief moments on that afternoon, we, we were witnessing a lot of joy and laughter and fun and beauty. And for those few minutes, people's everyday ordinary burdens in life that we all carry seemed to be suspended by the magic of the crown fountain. No doubt you've seen that in other cases as well. Now, Strogren and Ping state in their book, Outflow, that as followers of Christ, our lives, just like those fountains, are meant to overflow with, with unimaginable joy and power and beauty. And that our shared life together as God's family, his already not yet people, it's supposed to overflow in similar ways too. Uh, splashing and sparkling and noisy and captivating and irresistible, uh, spilling water over everyone, making everybody happy, uh, hope and encouraging and, and blessing and refreshing everyone, relieving for a moment, if, if we can, their everyday ordinary burdens. Uh, we were designed by God to be a constantly overflowing people, uh, filled with His presence and power as, as we intentionally reach out to our friends, our family, our, our co-workers, 
uh, even those that we, we don't know scattered around the globe, strangers as it might be. And if this is so, then we have to ask the question, what is the disconnect with the majority of people right here in Peoria, Tazewell, Woodford, Stark, and Marshall counties? The majority that are voting with their feet that they see no need for Christ and his church. Well, I'm going to suggest that we, the church, need to rethink our approach and our methods at inviting people into the party of God's kingdom. Obviously, the message of God's joy and laughter and fun and beauty isn't getting through. Hopefully, our few weeks together here will provide some kind of insight and help. Now, when we leave our family, our friends, or our loved ones, our close friends to go on a trip, or we're, we're perhaps saying goodbye to, to the same, you know, if they're moving away, we often choose our parting words very carefully, don't we? Uh, sometimes we'll even go so far as to giving them a, a, a note. You'll carefully select a Hallmark or a shoebox greeting card that says what you want to say just right. And then you may sign it uh, in your own handwriting. And even the least sentimental among us might actually go so far as to say, hey, we'll miss you, or we love you, or we hope to see you again soon. And if you're so courageous, you might even write, love me. Well, after Jesus' resurrection, shortly before he returned to the Father in heaven, he gave us some parting instructions. And I like to think that Jesus, too, chose his parting words very carefully. So I'd like to have you open with me uh, your Bible or your Bible app to Matthew's Gospel, the 28th chapter. We're going to read these parting words. In Matthew's Gospel, the 28th chapter, verses 18 to 20. If you don't have either a Bible or an app, you can follow along on the screen. Or you can also pick up a copy of a Bible right back there at Guest Central. They're available all the time. It's our free gift to you. It's the New Living Translation. You can actually understand it, written in a language that's uh, accurate and reliable. And you could grab one of those. It would be our free gift to you. Matthew 28, 18. Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. And be sure of this, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Now turn with me to the first chapter of the book of Acts, snapshot of the early church. And in the first chapter, we, we have a, a different perspective, Dr. Luke's perspective of the Great Commission in Acts 1.8. He reframes the parting words of Christ, what we've now called the Great Commission, slightly differently. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, many of us have immediately two difficulties with these texts. The first is this. Most of the disciples that I've known in my 35 years as a Christ follower 
um, have a fundamental desire to share God's love with others, but we just don't know how. Whether we live in the colonias surrounding Fresno, Mexico, or in a village on the Amazon River, or in a high-rise apartment building in Beijing, China, or right here in the, the suburban metropolis of Peoria, whether we worship in a liturgical Catholic or or Missouri Synod Lutheran or a Bible Belt Southern Baptist or a charismatic word of faith or a non-denominational or vineyard church, genuine followers of Christ want others to experience the profound joy that we've discovered in, in following Jesus, but, but we just don't feel particularly good at evangelism. We don't think that we're very smart or clever enough. We don't know the words to say. Uh, we don't feel that we have a very impressive story, a dramatic testimony. And still others of us have had friendships that have gone on for years. And now we, we find it's a little awkward to say, oh, by the way, let me now tell you the most important thing in my life. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Still others of us just don't have any unchurched friends anymore. By the nature of attrition, our friendship circles begin to close to people who are outside the boundaries of the church. That's quite natural. And so the first difficulty is that while we have a desire to share, we just don't know really what to do. We're not trained by the church in ways to be effective. We just assume that you do what comes natural, and when we do that, things get all boogered up. The second difficulty we have with these texts is described well by Shogren and Ping in their book, Outflow, and I quote, So often, we're likely to face negative perceptions and even ugly prejudices by so many folks that it's become normal for those of us who love Jesus to fear openly acknowledging Him. At times, I'll just admit to you that I'm embarrassed to tell people that I'm a pastor because I know immediately they'll draw conclusions about me or our church in particular or about Christianity in general when they hear those words. And so when they ask me, what do you do for a living? I say, I'm going to go to do. What do you do? I, 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 I try to go undercover and dream up fancy titles like to tell them, I'm the architect of atmosphere. Oh, Hmm. And then they pass on quickly to other things. You know, they, uh, so let's start by just looking at a few encouraging principles from these texts as we prepare for a summer of fun. First, these two records of Jesus' parting words indicate that he deputizes us with the authority to go and be his witnesses. That's the real deputy right there. Now, it would be obviously a lot easier if Jesus would just send people into our church without any effort for many of us, right? I mean, that'd be great. And it'd be especially nice if God just dropped into our lap a boatload of money. You know, if only one of you had won the Mega Millions a couple weeks ago, because your tithe on that would have just taken care of everything, see? don't know why God doesn't answer that prayer. Well, I probably do, but... If we just have so much, you know, so many resources that we could build an awe-inspiring campus, you know, complete with theme and amusement parks and water features and a paintball course, 
Yeah, and a go-kart track and, you know, a bowling alley and a skate park and, and rock climbing structures and a ski slope, slope and an, a, an amphitheater and a restaurant that steamed to go along with it so that when people drove by, they'd say, I just got to go there and find out more about that Jesus. Probably not going to happen. Great, you know, our nice building is a great blessing in Fort. We're, we're thankful. We appreciate it. Uh, we're we're not envious. I'm not envious of the beautiful facilities that uh, and debt. I mean, the, the the nice buildings that other people have. Um, but the idea that if you build it, they will come, in my mind, really only works in an Iowa cornfield. And that's because you look at cities, both large and small, all around the globe, that are filled with attractive facilities that are nearly empty. Eight and a half out of ten churches in the world have plateaued or are declining in attendance. And so if you build it, they will come is simply not true. The empty buildings testify to this reality. God's not calling the world to come to church. He's calling the church to go to the world. We're not going to make a difference in our world by sitting safely in our church building on a Sunday morning. Now, times of gathering together for purposes of inspiration and equipping and, and education and training and celebrating are important, but but we've got to get out into the world where the real action is, as it were. It's selfish of us to think we can just sit back and live a comfortable, self-absorbed life and not use our God-given joy to actually influence those that are outside the reach of God's kingdom. And so in this sense, being sent into the world is a vital part of what being a Christ follower is. And so wherever we go this summer, it's going to involve being sent into our worlds by the Holy Spirit. That's what the text says he's given us the authority to do. Now, if you feel intimidated by the idea of going out into our world to proclaim salvation to the four winds and the seven seas, then, you know, you're certainly not alone. In my experience, that many in the church, the majority in the church, feel intimidated. Part of it's because when we hear being sent into the world, uh, we, we immediately think of being sent as a missionary to Mexico or Brazil or, you know, to maybe become a Wycliffe Bible translator somewhere. And those might be effective callings for some, but the majority of us are not going to have to board an airplane nor cross hundreds of miles of salt water to go into the world. The reality is it's much more likely that we're called to demonstrate the love of God to people much closer. For instance, the places where we work and the and the men and women who work there with us, the neighborhoods and apartment complexes or dormitories or retirement centers in which we live, the stores where we frequent and, and buy our groceries, our household supplies, our clothing for the new season, our doctor or dentist or chiropractic offices, uh, the, the car dealership or the Pennzoil place where we get our oil changed or the restaurants that we eat at regularly the parents of the children that we go to, our kids go to school with, uh, those that serve together on PTA or that hang out at the, at the ball diamond where, where you're going to be hanging this summer as your kids play t-ball or Little League. These are the worlds into which we are being sent by the Holy Spirit, where we've been deputized to go. We've been given authority to enter those worlds. 
by God's own hand. And so that's, that's the harvest field into which uh, Jesus is now authorizing us. So we've been given authority to go to the harvest fields of our worlds right here. Secondly, that I notice in this text that the Holy Spirit is who empowers us to love the world and to live as a, as a witness for him. You notice that? The Holy Spirit will empower us, Acts 1.8. And so not only do we have authority, but we also have power. So Jesus is not here instituting a new evangelism program. He's just telling us how we're to live. He's encouraging us to allow the personal, indwelling, powerful presence of the Holy Spirit, Christ himself, to both change us and then lead and guide and direct us in our daily life through his gifts, through his spirit. Holy Spirit's always doing two things. He's transforming us to look more and more like Christ. And secondly, he's empowering our ministry. Everything the Holy Spirit does could basically be summarized into one of those two categories. So every day, Jesus is saying, here's my evangelism program. Trust me to change you to look more like me and then to lead, guide, and direct and empower you in your witness for me. I've given you both authority and the power to do that. No hype, no manipulation, no religious language, no canned presentations. Thank God for all of them that existed in the past. But we're just trusting him to fill our hearts with love for people and then to say and to do the right things at the right time as we're led by him. If there is an evangelism program, that's what it is. Now, the rub is that people all around us don't know that they're separated from the life and the joy and the love and the beauty and the power of God's fountain. They don't know that. And they're rarely going to respond to evangelistic slogans. If you died tonight, do you know where you would go? Uh, no. You know, we, 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 we're not going like, to like dumb it down to, to trying to induce people by guilt or the inept and disrespectful quick fixes that we want to give to people at their complicated life situations. So many of our approaches in evangelism are content-oriented. Here, just believe these facts about the death, burial, and resurrection, and everything's going to be fine. We've, we've focused on getting people to pray the sinner's prayer, making a once-for-all decision to become a follower of Christ. Now, Building a relationship with Jesus and his church is way more complicated than that. And it isn't to minimize uh, that expressing our faith to follow Christ in a, in a one-time prayer isn't important. It, it is, uh, but it's just one of the many, many steps that people will need to take on the journey of relationship with Christ and his church. And so in this time together over the next few weeks of preparing for a summer of fun, we're going to suggests that that we think in terms of first becoming friends with people and then providing them with hundreds of tiny experiences of the love of God that can build a foundation of love and trust and understanding that will prepare them to one day actually make a quality decision to surrender their life to Jesus. But it begins in experiencing God's love in lots and lots and lots of ways. 
It's not a content-oriented evangelism program. It's the program Jesus designed for him to touch our hearts and be filled with the Holy Spirit and then enter people's worlds, sharing with them the love of God. We're convinced that's only as people in our worlds and our communities personally experience the love of God that that they'll actually begin to change, that they'll sense the presence of God and experience his love for them personally where they live, that they'll then begin to be open to, to, to changing and dismantling their current worldview. And at some point, after we build a bridge of love and trust and understanding, we may be privileged by God to cross that bridge and pray with them to receive Christ as they surrender to him. So we've been filled with the Holy Spirit who empowers us as Christ's witness. That's the second thing we discover in that text. The third thing that I see as a way of encouragement is to notice that Jesus actually assures us of his continual abiding presence. The exclamation point to the Great Commission is this. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, that's good news. That means as he not only authorizes us and empowers us to go, that he's assuring us that we will never have to fear that he's going to abandon us or forsake us as we help people follow Jesus and find real life. We we don't do this alone. We we don't ever have to worry that he's going to let us out there hanging on our own, but but that uh, he'll he'll be with us every step of the way. So where are we going this summer? Well, we're headed into the harvest and the world all around us. And wherever we go, it's going to involve being sent into the worlds by the person of the Holy Spirit, sharing God's love and, and God's kindness. And, and my theory, you'll, you'll discover that I have a lot of theories over the years, is that every time someone this summer is touched by the love and goodness of God, flowing out of us as his fountain, it is a success because they can feel the warmth of God's loving embrace. And there is no power in the universe more more uh, capable of change than the love of God. Let me close by just telling you a brief story. Several months before we moved here last May, in getting the house ready to sell, our two-year-old dishwasher quit working. Now, I'm pretty handy. I think of myself that way, so I kind of tore into it. You know, and after being frustrated for a couple of hours at not being able to figure the problem, I I called Dick Van Dyke Appliance, where we got it, uh, to schedule a repair. They advertised a 24-hour turnaround and an initial charge of $15, which, you know, sounded great. So the repairman, John, showed up on that Saturday morning and... uh, at the time scheduled, I'm thinking, oh, this is going really well so far. Um, he got down on the floor, grunted as he poked around with his flashlight. And as I watched him grunt and look, I just had this fleeting sense, this is the way the Holy Spirit often works, that, that God's agenda for John was a little bit bigger than just fixing our dishwasher. And so knowing that one of the ways that people can feel the love of God is to show interest in their life, and ask a sensitively timed question, I began to gently probe about 
how John got involved in appliance repair. And on the floor, he started there to unpack his story. And in passing, John mentioned that he'd very briefly attended a relatively obscure Bible college in Pennsylvania, the name of which I happened to recognize having gotten a newsletter from them like 20 years before. And I mentioned that to John. And uh, at that moment, he, he began to like connect in, in, in a more dramatic way. He began to unpack his life story in more detail, found out that at one time he actually felt called to be a youth pastor. But then through a number of difficult experiences in the church and in the Bible college, he began to drift away from God and the church. John became a nomad. He ended up in Champaign, disconnected from God, disconnected from the church, disconnected from family. And as John felt more and more safe, he began to uh, converse. Our, our dialogue blossomed. And now about 20 minutes later, I had the courage to actually tell him that I was a pastor. And uh, I offered if I could pray for him. I, I used the phrase that we're going to teach you to, to, to offer is, can I pray for you right now? Seven words that will change your life. And he said yes. And with tears now trickling down his face, I just prayed that God would renew his sense of calling on John's life and give him direction. He finished diagnosing my dishwasher problem and told me how to fix it, which was awesome because I saved the $85. (laughs) And that's that value of frugality coming out in me. He thanked me profusely for really making his Saturday morning, and then he left. Never heard from him again. But John was touched by God's love that Saturday morning. He was encouraged to renew his call, and it was just a simple act of kindness. I'm no hero. I just listened intently and asked a few gently probing questions, and I compassionately extended God's kingdom by offering to pray for him right there in my world. And friends, that's something we all can do because it's everyday outreach for ordinary people. That's how we prepare for a summer of fun. And so I believe that with God's help, uh, the Holy Spirit's going to enable us to dismantle our preconceptions about evangelism and will give us all a, a willing desire to embrace his call on our lives to become a fountain as we discover the simplicity and power of friendship and kindness. Lord, we are grateful that you're at work in our lives. You're, you're, you're at work every, in everyone's life because you, you tell us in the words of Jesus, God the Father is always working. Thank you. Thank you that you don't give up on us and thank you that you don't give up on anyone else around us. And I pray God that in these next few weeks, uh, would you come to, uh, just do your work in us to become your authentic genuine Christ followers that are scattered into the world all around us in these five counties, that we could be ambassadors of your goodwill, and that as we reach out, others may experience the love and joy and beauty and power of your fountain, the real life that's in Jesus, that we could really become an attractive, already not yet people on your behalf, and so fulfill uh, the, the, the command you've given us. And now, Lord, as we continue our worship by giving you our 
our love and devotion in song and our substance in the offering. We pray you take these for what they are, tokens that we want our life to fully count for you in your name. Amen.